thank you, Jesus, that as we have sung, it is true what we've said. Everything that we need today is in you. And Lord, we thank you that you know the needs of our hearts. You know every detail of our lives. And we thank you that you're so gracious in what you give to us to fulfill our needs. As we come to your word, Lord, we pray right now today that you would instruct our hearts, you'd strengthen us. For some of us, you'd give us hope. For some of us, Lord, you'd give us that newness of life that we so desperately long for. We pray that you would walk amongst us today and do what only you can do, Jesus. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a big shout before you sit down and we'll give our musicians a great cheer and round of applause. Come on. They do a fantastic job for us. Amen. Well, we this morning are going to continue to read from Luke chapter 15. I've been in that for some weeks now. And um, we're coming to the part where Jesus tells a story to the Pharisees about a prodigal son that leaves home. I want to read it to you from Luke 15, pick up in verse 11. It says this, Jesus talking. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Man, I tell you now, when I read the Bible, I start crying. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the youngest son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, There arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven And in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. And they began to be merry. An incredible story, a true story that Jesus told about a certain man that had two sons. We've said Luke chapter 15 brings us into a situation where Jesus is in two very different worlds. He's on one hand between the Pharisees and on another hand he's being the friend of sinners. The Pharisees on one hand are condemning him and criticizing him for trying to reach a disconnected people around him. These sinners all around Jesus had their hopes in him. They were listening to him and receiving words of hope and encouragement from him as he was trying to reconnect something that was disconnected. And as he went out into the highways of byways of life and just simply tried to connect disconnected people to a loving father in heaven as he tried to uh, bring that new covenant that that he was about and as he tried to bring it into people's world that were broken and disconnected he received sharp criticism from a religious group of people called the Pharisees and on this particular occasion Jesus is lovingly trying to reconnect disconnected people to God. And for that, these Pharisees that were in the same room with him were criticizing him and making their, 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 their comments known. And the scowls on their face must have been obvious to Jesus. So Jesus tells them three short stories and we've covered them in the weeks previous. But he gets to this particular story about a prodigal son that leaves his father. Do you know, isn't it great that you can turn to the Bible as a parent and get hope from the Scriptures? Isn't it great, you know, because there's pressures that come as a result of being a parent. We have children, and children do lots of different things. And we've all, as parents, got hopes and dreams for our children. We've got expectations for them. And all of our investment, all of our time, all of our energies go into our children's lives. Why? Because we're trying to create a great future for them, aren't we? If we're parents here this morning, we're trying to do our best for them. You know, I I think if we went round the room this morning and began to find out all the different activities that our children are involved in, and all the taxiing and the ferrying that we have to do as a result of their ambitions and their hobbies and their desires to be in different societies. I'm telling you, I'm sure there'd be a lot of hours covered and a lot of miles covered. Why? Because as parents, in one sense, we lay our lives down for our children because we're hopelessly in love with them. We want the best for them. We want them to achieve. We want them to have a future. And I'm sure that this father that Jesus spoke about on this occasion had the same aspirations for his two boys. I'm sure that these two boys were the prize of his life. I'm sure that that he loved them and he tried to raise them the, the, the best that he could. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, he put all of his energies of life into making his boys the boys that he wanted them to be. 
so that they could have a great future. I'm sure he was a great dad. But on this occasion, the youngest comes to him. And the Bible says that he asked his father for the portion of goods, his inheritance, that would fall to him. He wanted his father to basically hand over the cash. And it must have been a real hurtful experience for this dad. Because basically what the son was saying, listen dad, I want you dead. Because I want to receive my inheritance prematurely. I want to receive my inheritance, the portion of goods that fall to me. I want them now, please. And you know, it's incredible because you don't see a complaint from the father's heart. You know, we know this story well as the story of a prodigal son, but we could also rephrase that and call it the story of a father's unconditional love. This father doesn't get angry. This father doesn't contest. This father doesn't get into conflict with his son. It seems as if the father just holds his peace. A few weeks ago, months ago, we said one of the qualities of love, one of the greatest qualities of love is to suffer long. And then after suffering long, after going through a tremendous length of time, getting hit from every angle, suffering, at the end of it all, you're still kind. It's amazing what the agape love of God can do in a person's heart. Romans 5.5 tells us that the Holy Spirit, one of the chief aims and desires of God but in giving the Holy Spirit and sending the Holy Spirit into your heart and my heart is to shed his love abroad in our hearts. The agape love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. That enables you and I to suffer long, to go through conflict after conflict, to get hit from every side. And at the end of the suffering, we can come out with a a huge surprise. We can be kind. And it seems as if this is what happens with this father. He must have gone through nights of suffering in knowing that his son wanted his inheritance. And this dad wasn't You know, he wasn't blind. He knew what his son wanted to do with his inheritance. And yet silently the father holds his peace. And it says that he divided his livelihood between his two boys. What a a moment of heartbreak that this dad must have gone through. Conflict in a home and Jesus brings us right into the room. Right into the home where the conflict is happening. And yet the father doesn't fight it. The father doesn't contest against it. The father just divides his livelihood. These boys hadn't worked for it. These boys hadn't earned it. It was the father's. He'd worked hard. He'd sweated. He'd gone into the fields and spent the hours collecting this livelihood. And now they wanted it prematurely, so he divides it. He divides his livelihood between them. And then not many days after, this young kid shoots off. He shoots off to a distant land, far, far away from home. Because now he's on a journey of pleasure. 
He's, he's the man. He's the boy. He's got, he's got, you know, a pocket full of cash. And he's going to achieve every ambition and desire and every hidden motive in his heart. So he goes far, far away from his father. Do you know, Wednesday night was a very windy night for me. It wasn't because I'd been eating curry. Yeah, I had one of them last night. But Wednesday night was a very windy night for me. I was on the mountain and I was riding into a headwind. And if you cast your minds back to Wednesday, it was a windy night. And I was riding for an hour into a headwind. And it was hard. An easy trail became a hard trail because I was fighting against the wind. I was going forward and I was, I was face on into a headwind. And it was so difficult to ride into that headwind. The wind was resisting me. But then as I went, the trail turned and I began to ride back home. And for an hour on the way back home, instead of riding into the wind, I was riding with the wind. The wind was behind me. So instead of facing a headwind, I was now enjoying a tailwind. And instead of the wind resisting me, the wind was assisting me. Oh, it's far easier to have the wind assist you in life. It's hard to ride into a headwind. It, it, it's, it takes a lot more strength. It takes a lot more energy. There's frustration when the wind is fighting you, when the wind is pushing you back, when the wind's resisting you. But when the wind is assisting you, oh, it's so much easier. It really is. Do you know, sometimes in life, I don't know if you found it, but it can seem as if life is resisting you. It can seem as if life is like a headwind. It can seem as if as you go forward, it gets harder. Life is resisting you. Relationships are resisting you. Choices and decisions that were once easy seem so labored and seem so difficult and so complicated. Circumstance comes against you. Life resists you. It's hard. It's hard when life resists you. But isn't it great when life assists you? Isn't it fantastic when the headwind's gone and you've got a tailwind? And it seems as if everything's coming together. Relationships are fantastic. Circumstances are great. Those choices that seem so complex now seem so easy. Why? Because instead of life resisting you, now life is assisting you. It's wonderful to have life assist you. It's wonderful for life to work together. Do you know there's a scripture in the Bible? Little verse that talks about this very clearly. James, in his epistle, writes, James chapter 4, verse 6. You can turn to it when you get home. He says this, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. That word resist simply means this. That when God finds a proud heart, when God finds a proud attitude, it it 
That, that word resist means that God sets up, he draws up a battle line against the proud heart. Oh man, you do not want God to resist you. I don't. The God who flung stars into space. The God that put the sun and the moon in our sky. The God that, that, that had the intelligence and the power and the brilliance to beautify our earth. The almighty God, the living God, the El Shaddai. The one that, that can do wonders, that can do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. You do not want him to resist you. Just imagine having God resist you. Just imagine having God's omnipotent power against you. Is it possible? Yes, the Bible says it is. If we have a proud heart, it says God will stand and he will draw a battle line against that life and he will resist it. He will resist it. But that's just one side of the coin. Because the other flip side is that it says he gives grace to the humble. That means that if you have a humble heart, and, and literally that word humble just simply means a broken life. A life that's in pieces. A life that's crying out for help. A life that is not proud and strong and opinionated and looks down on others. A life that is just constantly, it seems, as if it's in need. A humble heart. That's what it means to be humble. In desperation, crying out to God. It says that God gives grace to the humble. It means, it means that simple picture you're walking down through life and it means that God's throwing grace and favor in front of every step in every day he's throwing his grace and his favor and his blessing and everything he's using all of his power to not resist you but assist you he's using all of his strength and all of his wisdom and all of his knowledge and everything that he is not to resist you but to assist you Maybe you've been saddened by your broken state. Maybe you've been saddened by your lowly mind, even though the Bible says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, but in lowliness of mind, consider others better than yourself. If that's your life, if that's the statement over your head, I'm telling you, God's going to assist you. Selfish ambition, self-strength, the proud, they're not going to get God's assistance. They're going to get God's resistance. But a humble heart is going to get God's grace and God's favor. And that's the people that we want to be. I remember a boy in Bible school who was a good friend of mine. He always used to sing a song. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I think he was a bit proud. But we had some fun with that. But you know, maybe today you're in this place and you feel downcast inside. You feel heavy hearted. And it's not nice to feel downcast and heavy hearted. It's not nice. I, sometimes I, I, I feel heavy. I feel, oh man, I'm... 
I'm going through it. But do you know the advantage sometimes of feeling low inside? The advantage is that it generates a dependency on God that you would not have if you were strong and proud and able to do it on your own. No, God assists the humble. Well, this kid went out of his dad's house and I think he was proud. If you assess the picture, if you look at what happened, what took place, he goes into dad's office and he says, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. I mean, Jesus is very careful about the words that he uses. There's no please or thank you. There's no, you know, dad, look, I realize that this is your livelihood and I appreciate the fact that you brought me up, that you've spent all of your life bringing me to this moment where you're going to release. There was none of that. There was just an arrogant, proud, hard, young heart that made demands. The wonderful wisdom of this dad, the wonderful unconditional love of this father gave. And it seems to me as if the father has a humble heart, but the son, the young one, has a proud, hard heart. So for me, what I see in this picture is this, God assisting the humble and resisting the proud. Now, it doesn't look as if God is assisting the father when the son's leaving. You see, it's the greatest day of his life. It's the greatest day of this boy's life. He's got cash everywhere, in his backpack, in his coat, in his pockets, in in the soles of his shoes. He's loaded and he's ready to live it up. It doesn't look as if God is assisting the father because it looks as if he's losing everything. He's divided his livelihood. It looks as if the son is being assisted, not resisted. But what this young man's going to find out, when he leaves the house, he's going to get resisted by life. He's going to get resisted by a very uncaring world. He's going to get resisted by powers that he knows nothing about that the father is well aware of. And this is where God's invisible plan for this young boy comes into play. He leaves, he goes to a far country, and it's, you know, he just wastes it all. His father's precious livelihood just wastes it, just throws it away. And then it says the famine suddenly comes. Isn't it amazing how things just happen? The famine didn't come when he had his pockets loaded with cash. The famine comes at the most untimely time when he's got nothing, when everybody's leaving him. When he's going and knocking on people's doors that he's given cash to and they're shutting them in his face. They don't want anything to do with him. So now he goes to a farmer and he joins himself to him. And the farmer hasn't got much care care on him. There's no relational tie. There's no concern. Father's not, this, this farmer is not like his father. And he just throws him into the pig field. And it says that the kid would have loved just a meal from, from, the, from the swine that he fed. And nobody, not even the animals, would give him anything. 
And suddenly he's at the lowest moment of his life. And the wonderful thing about the low moments of our lives is that we can learn the greatest lessons there. They can become invaluable moments, invaluable times in our lives. And he begins to recount. It becomes a moment where he reflects about the whole of life. And he begins to speak to himself. Man, not even my dad's servants undergo this kind of treatment. Not even my dad's servants have to live in this squalor. I will arise. Firstly, I'm acknowledging, God, I've sinned against you. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's wonderful when you confront the pride of your heart. You get down on your knees and you say, God, I have sinned against you. I am sorry. And he said, I will also, I'll acknowledge to my father that I've sinned against God. And I will also acknowledge to my father that I have sinned against him. He begins to take responsibility. He's lost everything. And he gets up. And suddenly, I believe, the trail turns for him. He'd been riding his little bike of pleasure for maybe months or even years into a fierce headwind. And it was hard. And suddenly he'd, everything had come crashing down in that pigsty. But the moment that he cries out to God, the moment that he says, I have sinned against you, to God, and I will go to my father and I will say to my father, I've sinned against you, father. Make me one of your hired servants. He's not saying, give me now. Something has happened inside him. Something has transformed him. Something has changed within him. He's not saying, give me. He's not going back saying, dad, give me more. He's going to his father's house saying, Father, make me. Oh, make me. And what a wonderful transformation of heart it is when we begin to say, not gimme, gimme, my name's Jimmy to God. But when we say, oh, make me God. God, I'm not here for money. God, I'm not here for riches. God, I'm not here for anything external. Please take this heart of mine. Please take it and transform it. This mind that's thought so many thoughts. This life that's been about so many different things. Take it, mold it, and conform it to the image of Christ. When you come to God and say, make me, instead of give me, I tell you something now, you're not going to find a resistant God. You're going to find a God full of assistance. You're going to find a God transforming you, and so interested in you, and so in on working on every detail that you're going to be amazed at what he does with your life. The boy's on his way home. You see, in that pigsty, in that pigsty, the Bible says that the boy came to his right mind. He began to think correctly in the filth and the squalor of a pig pen. Who would have thought that such a filthy environment could bring such wonderful correction, such wonderful transformation? He began to think correctly in the pig pen. He came to his right mind. 
So where did he lose his mind? He lost his mind in his dad's house. He lost his mind when he was in a place of abundance. When he was in a place of care. And sometimes the very place that is there to help us and and bring us on and offer us care is the place where we take for granted and we begin to think incorrectly about. But this boy arises. He goes home. Oh man, and I love this. It says, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. When you study the word compassion in the Bible, it literally means to be, this would be our modern day equivalent, to be shot at at point blank range. It would be as if somebody came up to you with a gun and just went point blank and shot you. And this father gets hit. This father is overwhelmed by love. And he gets hit by love. And he begins to run. And he meets his son. And the Bible says he kisses him. Again, the, la- the, 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 the original language is that he smothered. He smothered his son with kisses. When, Ju- when Judas met Jesus in the garden, he didn't just kiss Jesus. It's the same word. It's, it says he smothered Jesus with kisses. His, his was a betrayal of love. But this father, as he smothered his son with kisses, was, was a love of acceptance and embrace. And the son gets through part of his recital before his dad. And he, and he says, Dad, I've sinned against heaven. He acknowledges that. He says, Dad, I've sinned against you. Make me one of your hired servants And suddenly the father calls the servants and he says, bring out the robe, bring out the ring, bring out the sandals, kill the fatted calf. What is that? That's God assisting a son that's returning home with the right heart. The son just wants to come back and serve and work because He's guilty. He's condemned. And when you feel guilty, when you feel condemned, when you've wasted everything that the Father has given you, you think that you've got to now live out for the rest of your days under some kind of legal sentence because you've done wrong. But this is a story all about sin abounding, yes, but grace abounding all the more. You see, when grace abounds all the more, God gets in on the scene and he begins to assist you with his power and his strength and his favor. And the son gets something that day from his father that he never knew existed because the father had kept it in the wardrobe. A garment signifies that he's going to reign in life. He's going to reign in the house. Transformation. Transformation. Transformation has taken place. He puts a ring of union. It's all symbolic, but it was, it was so vital for this moment. A ring of union on the son's hand. He puts sandals on his feet. He walked home barefoot, probably with not much more than rags on his back. 
And suddenly there's restoration. Suddenly there's rejoicing. There's music. There's merriment. There's a party for this boy because he had returned. And then we know that it changes and it turns as the elder brother who is in the field working. See, there's lots of different things happening here. There's one son receiving the assistance of his father and the favor of heaven on his life. And there's another son that's hard-hearted, working in the field, trying to attain to the father's acceptance and the father's blessing. One is receiving grace alone. He's not deserved anything that he's getting. It's a complete picture of salvation, unmerited blessing, unmerited favor of God. And one where... Another son is working hard, tireless, working to get his father's approval. And he begins to complain and he begins to bring up the son's past. Dad, don't you realize this boy, he's been sleeping with prostitutes. I mean, how on earth can you endorse that? How on earth? Yeah, but son, you've been watching Sky Movies for the last two hours and it's full of curse words. And you've been watching prostitutes and you've been... You see? You see? It's easy. Let me give you this simple illustration. I come into the house the other day, walk in, and I can't open the front door. Oh, man. Shoes! We bought cupboards from Ikea to put the shoes in. Right? Shoes! Kids' shoes, face shoes. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna tell them when they get home to put their shoes away, and then suddenly I see two pairs of my shoes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I'll put the shoes away. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you for the mercy and the grace. Hey, come on, church. Come on, church. You can't start dishing out laws to anybody. I've done it. Fail tell you. I've dished the law out, my God. I can remember me and Faye were having a bit of a heated discussion the other day. It was in the car a couple of weeks ago. And um, I said this, yeah, but I've done this and I've done that and I've done it. She said, Dave, let's not go there. Let's not. And I said, do you know what? Mm, Better not go there. Because if I've got a list, she's got an encyclopedia. (laughs) So she was very gracious. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Don't start dishing out the laws. Don't start getting the magnifying glass out on anybody's life. Yeah, but he's been sleeping with prostitutes. Son, look, he was dead. Let's forget about the prostitutes. He was dead and now he's alive. That's all I care about. God's not interested in your history. He's interested in your destiny. Come on, as far as the east is from the west, I will remember your sins no more. That's the God that we serve. 
And he brings him in. And that boy, that old brother, I don't know if he ever got it. But we've all been where that older brother is. And, do you know, I, sometimes I've been ungracious. I, c- I can look back and I've been ungracious in my attitude. We'll close here. I'll get the musicians up if that's okay. I've been ungracious in my attitude. And, you oh, I'm right. You're wrong. And um, you go down through life addressing issues like that. But you know, when I've been wrong, when I've been wrong, and I've been given grace, not correction, not Dave, you shouldn't have done that. Dave, we're going we're gonna to sort you out for that. But just given unmerited favor, grace, when that's been given to me, that's been the greatest corrector. It really has. When somebody hasn't looked at the wrongs of my life and they've just said, look, Dave, okay, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. But look, let's forget about that. Let's go on. Let's go on. It's, it's done. It's, you can learn from it, but come on, let's go on. When I've had that acceptance and that grace that I haven't deserved... Man, that has broke my heart more than any corrective rod. And that's what Jesus was saying in that room by telling those hard-hearted men, those Pharisees that day, this story. He's saying, guys, look, I've come with an unconditional love sent from the Father so that nobody would perish I want to reconnect people back to God. I don't want to point out all of the wrongdoings of their past. I don't want to come with a hard, brutal law that nobody ever can rise to. I want to come and bring restoration. I want to come again and wash clean and restore and not resist, but assist people back into a place where they have a relationship with me. You may be here today and you don't know Jesus. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. Do you know what? He loves you so much. You say, Dave, but man, I don't go to church. I'm only here by chance today. Listen, every single one of us are the same. We've all been like that kid in different ways, just living it up. The rock and roll MTV lifestyle. We've all been there. But we found an acceptance and a love from God's heart as we've opened up. I used to think that God was so angry with me. And I thought he had a right to be angry with me. Some of the things that I was doing. I've always had a passion for bikes and I was nicking them back there. Nicking them left, right and center. I was the right little thief. But you know what? I came, I said, oh, one day, I said, I've sinned against you, God. I know it. I know it. I admit it. There's a hole in my heart. Would you come in and fill it? And suddenly, from that moment on, I understood that God wasn't angry with me. 
He was hopelessly and helplessly in love with me. Now today, I don't know if, you, if there's one here or maybe a few here. But I want to invite you just to pray a quiet prayer with me in your heart. Just opening it up and saying, Jesus, come into my heart. I acknowledge. Yeah, I've sinned against you, but would you accept me? And in a moment, in a moment, you will Find him there to give you everything that you need. The most important thing, you'll find his saving arms around you. Let's close our eyes in respect for those who are going to pray right now. Quietly and silently, a whisper from your heart, that will do it. That'll do it. Just say this, Jesus, Jesus, I ask you today, Come into my heart. Come into my mind. I don't know much about you. But I want this love. Save me from my sin. I want a relationship with you. I believe you died for me on that cross. I believe that you rose again and you're alive. And now I put my trust in that today. Amen. Now while eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, lift your hand up. We'll see it. We'll give you a little booklet. I want to give you a little Bible. If you'd like to receive that, just lift your hand up. We'll see it and then you can put it down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Is there anybody here this morning? Is there a lady there or a gentleman there? That's right. Is there another person? We'll wait just a few moments. If everybody knows Jesus, that's fantastic. But I would hate for you to go. There's a few more. There's a lady at the back as well. That's right. Well done. That's it. That's it. You can lift your hand up. You know, every time my dad used to preach, week after week after week, he used to get to this part, and every week, I'd put my hand up. And one man said to me one day, he said, why do you keep putting your hand up? I said, because I just want to make sure. You can put your hand up in here as many times as you want. It's fine. We stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, there's a lost world around us, broken, hurting. Some of the problems in Newport, Lord, they're so big. Oh, God. They're so big, Lord. We wonder how can we help. But, Lord, we pray. Use us. Use us, oh, God. As we go into this week, we pray. Maybe there's one person that will come our way. And, Lord, we pray that we would help them. Maybe they're in a pigsty. Maybe they're broken. They've lost everything. Oh, God, we pray that we would be your instruments, ambassadors from God with the message of the new covenant, acceptance, forgiveness, and grace. Lord, we pray that we would herald that across this city. And Lord, we pray that you would fill our homes with broken people. You'd fill our lives with people that are pulling on our coattails, telling us and asking us to know the ways of salvation, know the ways of the Lord. 
Lord, we pray and we ask in our generation that there would be a great awakening in this land. A great awakening, a great harvest in Wales again. We pray and we ask you, O God. Lord, we do not look with the physical eye, but we come straight into your presence. Into the presence of the King. Let's lift our hands right now. We come as your people this morning into the presence of the King of Kings, boldly before your throne of grace. And Lord, we ask for assistance. We ask, Lord, for your assistance in Wales. We ask for your help in this land. And we pray in Jesus' name that there would be a great harvest of souls right across And that you would add to the church. That you would cause your church and your work and your kingdom to be extended right across this land. In our day, in our generation, in our time. In Jesus' name. Amen.